0: Hi, this is Rodney Lim, owner and clinical supervisor of Advanced Counseling and Communicating Love. The purpose of my podcast channel is to help you progress, overcome challenges and succeed in those things you'd like to accomplish or learn. Over the last 27 years in practice, as a licensed clinical counselor and marriage and family therapist, I have worked with a variety of clients with many struggles, but I have found there are three main areas that people can use a little help in mental health, including anxiety and depression, marriage and relationships, and pornography challenges and other things that cause difficulties in relationships. Each week, I will tackle one of these areas. So whatever you are struggling with, you can listen to that specific podcast area. I hope to give you real tools and suggestions that work. I hope to educate you on how to support loved ones and how to work on relationships. And most of all, I hope this is informative and helpful to you. Be sure to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, where you will find lots of great resources. You can also join me for a live webinar every Thursday if you'd like to ask questions. Go to my website, communicatinglove.com, for all the information. Now, on to the good stuff. All right, it's time for... Communicating love in relationships. So I'm excited and happy to have you here with me. With communicating love, there's a couple different things I'm excited to share with you this afternoon. So I was thinking about often how I start nearly every session when I have couples come in. And it's always good to remember good times, which is one of the things to Talk about how we met our spouse. Having that memory is a good way to remember that we're there because we want to work things out. I even get a lot of couples that come to the office probably more than half the time and they come in and say, oh, we came here because we think we have to divorce. And basically what they're saying is we don't know how to fix it. We're hoping that you can because we really don't want to divorce. We just need your help. That's why we're here. That's really what that means, and uh, I seriously, jokingly tell them that yeah, I've div- divorced my wife a dozen times at least in the uh, 34 years, and what that means is there's times where we get into bad patterns and habits, and it's time to have an inventory and divorce those old ba- old patterns and those old habits, and with the inventory, it's reassessing what's working, and what needs to be improved, and so. Every couple that I see in the first session, we talk about how counseling is going to go. That's their first assignment almost always to come prepared. The next time is why did they marry the person they did? What is it they love and appreciate about that person? To make a list of that, to remember good times, to remember the good things, to remember and to identify the things that they do appreciate about their partner. Even though some of that doesn't change, often we forget to express that. And so, when we come to the second session, couples come in and they share that part of the list, that what they appreciate, that is a good reminder. Hey, okay. Uh, Oftentimes, that's a reminder. Even though it hasn't been spoken, what is appreciated about each other, to say those out loud and share those, is a beginning of rekindling the relationship and feeling good in the relationship. So, it might have been a couple of years since some of that was expressed. So to hear that out loud is very endearing. I don't have the cartoon right here, but I remember seeing a cartoon. Guy had been married. He says, I told you I loved you on the day we married. Why should I have to tell you again? And so, unfortunately, that joke is funny because there's some truth to that of how sometimes we get into thinking we don't have to keep sharing that over and over. I often liken a relationship to taking care of a plant. If you water it once a month, or once every three months, you're gonna have a cactus. You're not gonna have a pleasant person to live with. You know, it's still alive, but it's pretty prickly. If you want a prickly partner, water it like a cactus. Not very often very beautiful smelling flowers and other plants. When we cultivate and take good care of them, there's a very nice, pleasant aroma and pleasant to look at because a lot of the care brings that. So the question is, do men really want that sharing? So do men want to be told that they are appreciated? Yes, quite a bit. Do they want to be told they're looking pretty, well, it depends. But men like to be appreciated. Women like to be appreciated and admired. Men like to feel like they have value, as we all do. So we can get into more uh, details in that another time. Some differences there, but every human being likes kindness. So whatever we can do to be kind is part of nurturing the relationship. Taking care of the relationship, being kind. So the things that are kind, that are shared, that's where we start. And then the next part, we get the second list, which is part of the assignment, is what would you like to see improved upon? Now, most of the time, there's nothing new that comes out. Once in a while, there is, but as we go through the list of things that need to be improved. That helps the person sometimes express things that they haven't felt comfortable in expressing. It's an opportunity to talk about things that often are not talked about. So sometimes couples talk about things all the time and they don't get any resolve. And other couples, they avoid talking about everything because they don't know how to negotiate a good resolve to that. And that's part of the structure of communication skills. The thing that I was going to share today and excited to share, I call this the basic elements of change. And this is true whether it's in relationship or in our individual lives or in an organization. I believe the basic elements of change apply to anybody, anywhere, in any situation as we assess those things that are needed for change. Most of the time, we already know these basic things, but to review them, it brings out what we know into the obvious and greater awareness and understanding, which is part of change as well, is to be able to identify what we do want to change. The first main thing in change is, first of all, to have the desire to do so. If we don't desire it, we're not gonna put any action or thought into changing. In fact, if we don't desire change, then any suggestions or effort is going to be annoying, which is true the case when we're trying to help other people change because it's not something we can do for them, we can only influence them. We'll come back to that in a minute on how we can influence others to change. But with change, having the desire and the commitment to taking the action needed to create change. If we do something one way and we want to change it to another way, then we need to take that action and do it different. As we do it different and practice that, as with anything, the more we practice, the easier it becomes. And the better we can get at accomplishing that new way of behavior. One of the ways I often talk about the principle of change is to have an individual fold their arms. So, just real quick, if you would do that, fold your arms. And as you fold your arms, I want you to notice that you have one arm over top the other arm. In my case, my left arm is over top my right arm, and to change that, then I use conscious effort, then to put my right arm over my left arm. It feels very awkward at first, and sometimes very difficult the first time. But as we practice that and do it over and over and over again, it becomes easier. Scientifically, we know that when we make a change it takes 21 days as a minimum on average for the neural pathways in the brain to reroute themselves to the new behavior i had a friend who smoked 3 packs of cigarettes a day and he practiced changing his mindset and He didn't notice any change in 21 days or 30 days, but it was like a miracle, at least for him, on day 42, where all of his desires and smoking habit went away. Okay, so number one basic element is desire, commitment, and action. If we have the desire and we have the commitment and we take action and change is still not happening, then... That brings us to the next element of change, and that is education. If we work hard at something and we're not getting change, it's because there's something we are not understanding. If we have a belief that, using the example of COVID-19, that if we don't sneeze or cough on others, then and that's all we believe, then we might not wash our hands sufficiently or keep surfaces clear sufficiently. Or vice versa, if we think the only touching things spreads the germs or the virus, then we may not be careful with our coughing or sneezing. So education requires a more full understanding to create the change. And so when we evaluate change that we're looking for, and it's not happening, and we are taking action, then perhaps it would be because we don't have the proper education and understanding. So then if that's the case, after we get the education, then we can more properly take the action that will bring the desired change. So if we know what to do and we have desire and are taking action and we're still not getting change, then the final possibility is that we need more support or to the elimination of sabotage, okay? So if there's a group of people in a room, everyone knows how to have it be quiet, and if everyone desires to have it be quiet except for one person, and that one person is yelling, it won't be quiet. So it's possible for one person in situations to sabotage. Now, if you have that person that is not very agreeable to be quiet like everyone else wants, then you just need two bigger people capable of kindly escorting that person out of the room. With that kind of support, then the elimination of sabotage can occur, and then the problem behavior can be removed And then it can be a quiet room. So that's maybe a kind of a silly example, but it does show the point that sometimes we can't do some things on our own. Even though we know what to do and we are taking action, it takes more support to do that. Just this past week, I was very grateful for lots of support as my family took on a project of redoing our. Patio on the back of the house. My son and I started working on that with a sledgehammer, chipping pieces away. And even my father in law brought a jackhammer for us to work on. And all we could do was chip the corner. At the rate that we started, it would have taken us probably full time work for a couple of months to get it torn out. With better evaluation, we learned some tricks to elevate blocks of cement which made it more fragile and able to break apart. And so that was education and better ways to break the cement apart. And then the support came the next day when we had four or five other men come and help us tear the cement out. So with everyone working together, the job got completed in two days as opposed to more than two months. So that was much appreciated. So there is the saying, many hands make light work. So that's a great thing to have support in many things, and when you have the right education. So pondering on that now, when you have the support, and you have the know-how, the education, but what do you do for yourself or for others when the commitment is lacking, And there is no desire for change. And because there is no desire, no action is happening. And that comes to what I would refer to as a natural man or a bad wolf problem. So that takes us back up to the beginning, one of desire, commitment, and action. When we know how and we have support, but we do not have the desire the thing that gets us motivated. And as human beings, we are all motivated by pain and pleasure. It's the carrot and the stick principle. So for myself, for example, if I have a goal to go exercise, like go for a a mile jog for four days in the week, and I haven't been doing that at all, that's a big step of change and it would, takes lots of commitment to show that desire to have the action. So one way we can help ourselves to get more desire is to up the game on ourselves. And we all see this so many times on commercials and other salesmen type of pitches where they say, this product costs this much, but wait, there is more. We Let me sweeten the deal, which is trying to get you focused on more and more pleasure in purchasing that product with more and more and trying to show greater and greater value, which minimizes the pain of whatever it costs for that product or the effort it takes to participate in a certain activity. So that's the whole principle is to sweeten the deal for ourselves or with others. And so, with couples working with them, oftentimes we will set up an agreement that includes pain and pleasure to create the change in the relationship. For example, if a couple is having trouble getting into arguments, and they both might want to change not arguing anymore. They have the support of each other, and yet they also sabotage each other. And they both know they should not argue and that it's not productive. But that's the goodwill side. That's when we have our logic functioning. When we get into our emotions deeply, we lose our ability to be logical and to think things through and to make good choices. Unless we attach some pain and pleasure to certain behaviors. So with couples that might yell and call each other names when they get very upset, what we've done is together, when things are calm, is make a list of those different words that are needed to be eliminated. Like some couples, they need to eliminate the word divorce, or other name calling words. So by putting those on the list as taboo, we attach pain to using those words and pleasure to avoiding those words. So for example, if the agreement is to not say certain words and a person does say those words for each word used, that person would owe one minute for each word used Of a back rub to their partner or other couples, rather than back rubs as the payoff of pleasure, they might say for every time you use a word, you put a dollar in the vacation jar. So that's motivating to think about that and to avoid that. Even though it seems simple, it gets the mind to thinking differently. And so by thinking differently, it opens up the mind to be more in charge, less reactionary, and more able to follow through with the correct action. Sometimes um, putting pain connected with that, such as if you go over 10 words, then you need to go do so many dishes or scrub the toilet or the bathtub or some type of unpleasant chore. A lot of couples negotiate if they have a dog that who gets to go do the scooping out the, off the backyard, and so that is a motivator to not be the one using the words so just have to get creative on what brings pain and pleasure in relationship. I give a little parenting example of using this when my children were younger, we had struggles with getting in arguments and yelling at each other. And as the father, I got into yelling at them at times. And I said to myself, self, you got to stop yelling. And so as I tried to do that, I did make some improvement, but did not eliminate it completely. And so having a family meeting, we discussed the need to eliminate the yelling in the house And using these principles, we came up with a list of chores, five-minute chores to do if someone were yelling. And my wife made a batch of cookies that were in the freezer. And so we made this chart. On the top of the chart was green paper, then it had a line below that of yellow paper, and then red, and then black. So it had four levels. We each had our name on a pin that was attached to the green level that we started at. And so the agreement was that when someone yelled, then their clip would get moved out of the green into the yellow. Now, the reason that was a painful thing is because when we ate lunch and dinner, if you were not in the green, you did not get the cookie that was provided for all those that were in the green. So the goal was to have cookies for every meal, and when there was an argument, then that cookie was missed. So you miss the cookie by yelling once. If you yell twice, you go into the black, the red zone first, and then that required doing a chore. Like I mentioned earlier, we had a list of like doing 10 dishes, taking the garbage out, or Scrubbing the toilet. There are things like that. And the purpose was not to necessarily cause pain, but enough unpleasantness to get a person desiring to avoid that and focus on the pleasure of gaining the cookie. And so, by that goal, what took me about six months to decrease yelling, the whole household when we agreed and worked together. With that goal in mind, within three days, all yelling was eliminated, and which was great because it was no longer an argument on who started the fight, but who was able to get a cookie for each meal. So after three days, we had zero yelling, and that actually lasted for our three weeks or so, and we ate lots of cookies, and that was great, well worth the investment for sure. So, that's an example of applying this with parenting, with children. I often do it with myself. I do it with my spouse. When we do the inventory, and decide that there's something that needs to be changed, then we, well, then we apply that principle. So, that can be applied to anything that you're willing to be creative with, and that helps create change. So, if change is not happening, go back to the drawing board and review these principles and figure out what you need more of. Do you need more commitment and action, which would mean more pain and pleasure? Do you need more education? Or do you need more support? Or does there need to be effort with that support to eliminate sabotage? So far, I haven't seen an exception that somehow this covers uh, change in all aspects. As you think through what needs to change and how you want to change, focus on... Uh, different things that you can do. I wanted to share that, and that'll work for individual and in couples and in families and even in the workplace. Okay, well, so that's enough of that principle. So I'm going to jump into another principle or another thing that I like to share with couples when we talk about rebuilding a relationship. So in this next segment, I'm going to talk about The basic needs, so there was a guy that did a lot of business leadership training, Hiram Smith, and he later joined Stephen Covey in his business developments, but the way uh, Hiram put the four basic needs of human needs was to live, which is food, shelter, and clothing, love, and be loved, to feel important, and to have variety. And uh, Stephen Covey put live, love, leave a legacy, and laugh. So it, those were his four things. But uh, when it comes to the basic needs, one of those is variety. And in relationships, a lot couples I work with, sometimes they get tired and bored with each other. And when we get bored, we lose that spark, that fire in the relationship that fades. And with that, we kind of lose our attractiveness to each other. So, I mean, biologically, we are physically attracted to each other in the beginning, but over time, that fades, and it's the nature's way of helping us develop in other ways that we really do need to, to develop, and that's emotionally, mentally, socially, and spiritually as well. So, <clears throat> working with couples, the best of the best marriages go on a date every week. Spending time together is important. But even that way, there's couples I've worked with who come in the office. They do go on a w- date every week. They go to dinner or they go to dinner and movie. Dinner, dinner, a movie. Dinner, dinner, a movie. The only variety they have is maybe going to a movie, and it's really not time together that builds. It might be fun and entertaining to go do that, But the only time they really associate is when they're at dinner. And so my challenge to couples is to mix it up, to add variety to that. A fun way to add variety to dating is to take turns. So the way that looks like is there's four kinds of dates. So date number one is to have the one person. So usually I'll just say the man first. He's in charge in charge of planning the date, just like when they first met, setting it up. and I know a lot of times the the wives appreciate that the man takes charge in finding and setting up the babysitter, and so that's helpful. Uh, sometimes it's a big bonus, sometimes it's a necessary thing, depending on the relationship. But date one number one, the man sets up the date tells his partner, hey, this is the time, and this is how you need to dress, I'm going to surprise you, and his whole focus of that date was to plan what he believed that she wanted to do, and to bring fun, just like they first met, finding ways to create fun. So that would be the first date. Now, the second date would be the opposite, where the woman would be in charge of, planning, and leading the date. And her purpose would be to create fun for him. And so they each have turns focusing on the other. Now the third and fourth date is the opposite of that, where on the third date, the man would plan selfishly what he wants to do. And then his Partner 's job was to come and be a good sport, keep in company and to be a cheerleader or whatever that is to be good company for something that he wanted to do, even if it's something that she doesn't like, she can easily support that because she knows the next week it turnabouts fair play so on the last date, the fourth one, she plans what she wants to do, and then it's his job to be a good sport, to be a cheerleader and support to do whatever that is so if he likes to go to a a sports and she doesn't necessarily like it she'll go and be a good company anyway and then the next time she wants to go maybe to the bookstore and that's not his thing but he'll come there and be good company okay so that's the four kinds of dates so where the focus is different. Now, the reason this came out in working with different couples is because so many times an uh, individual in a relationship gets into the pattern of either always just consenting to do what the partner does because maybe they're a stronger personality and then they find themselves getting lost in that. And then the person who's always planning They get tired of always planning, so the relationship gets out of balance. And so by taking turns, that helps balance the relationship. And also by having a different focus of the different dates causes one to have a different focus, one, to be able to communicate their own desires, likes and dislikes, and more importantly, to be able to pay attention to their partner and to focus on learning about them what they like what they don't like so that they can be more successful in planning the date and that's important part of that and that's part of the variety the uh, question up here is how good is absence in redeveloping love is that really healthy okay so it depends the answer is yes and the answer is no depending on the situation there's the saying that absence helps our heart grow fonder. And that is true if the two individuals are working toward developing a relationship. And so they miss each other, and that helps kindle that. But in other circumstances, out of sight, out of mind, is also a problem. It depends on individuals, and depends on how they're feeling about the relationship on whether or not a separation is helpful. Absence from each other can either build or degrade a relationship. And that's true with just about everything in a relationship. So the defining factor is what is the intent and purpose of the separation? There's times where I get couples that if they're just too triggering on each other and they've got a lot of bad habits going, then with a design, a purpose to rebuild positive relationship, then separation is a good plan for two to three weeks. Again, that's very dependent on couples. A separation helps give a timeout, a chance to reset and refocus. And in that case, then the couple would get together for a date with a plan to have a successful date, where the difficult topics would not be addressed so they can experience some peace and harmony together to help nurture that good part of the relationship. And so there's different circumstances. I I remember one couple where they had never been separate and their relationship had just got into a lot of bad patterns. And so the husband didn't come to the session so I talked with the wife and she talked about how she needed to have a timeout because he had a lot of behaviors that were being destructive. And so she invited him not to come home and said that until certain things changed by setting some boundaries, that certain behaviors had to stay away from the house. And so she gave him three days to think about that. And it was like a miracle happened. After three days, he had decided that he really missed being home. And so he let a lot of bad behaviors go and was focused on working on making the relationship better. And it was like magic. In other cases, it's not so quick or magical, but two to six-week plan is needed at times. Again, so that's more individual cases on how that may or may not be helping. So along with that, one final concept that I'll share today, um, talking about how we grow together in relationship. The way we grow together in relationship are three ways. One is through playing together, and that's usually the purpose of dating is to go have fun together. But also another part of dating is a chance to talk, to share feelings. And that's a second way that we grow in relationship. And the third way is to work, to do projects together. And a lot of couples, you know, painting a room together and doing that, that can be a very bonding experience. It can also be a very terrible experience if we don't approach that activity with the right attitude. So the attitude makes the latitude. If we have a poor attitude, it can make relationships worse because it's human nature to not want to be around someone that's grumpy or angry. So we tend to want to get apart from that. So if someone's working on a task and they're letting themselves get angry and trigger on that, then that could cause separation in the relationship. But if they approach that with opportunity to do something together then that helps grow the relationship doing that activity and that's whether you're playing together i mean we've all seen it at the park well maybe not everyone but most of us have seen it at the park where they're supposed to be have, having fun playing a sport and there's some angry person whether it's the coach or one of the parents who's angry It takes a lot of the fun out of it. And so that makes it difficult. So happiness breeds happiness. Anger breeds separation in relationship. That is something to look at. And so that comes back to the golden question. Is my attitude or is what I am doing helping me grow closer or further apart in this relationship? So when we ask ourselves that golden question, then we know whether we should do more or less. If it helps us grow closer in relationship, then we can do more of that, and that helps more and more. And if our attitude or our actions are causing distance, then we want to do less of that. In relationship, pain and pleasure We all want more pleasure, that's human nature. And we want less pain and miserableness can fade away out of our life. So that's the goal and the challenge to do that. All right, I look forward to sharing more next week. Thanks for listening today. I hope you find this information and tools helpful. Please subscribe to the podcast channel so you never miss an episode. And be sure to join us next week for more great information. And of course, don't forget to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, for more information on my live webinar and other great resources and videos. Until next week, onward and upward.